since we're a social company, we're more focused on the social companionship. So we have a robot, uh, Temi, which is a, a, t- a three and a half foot autonomous robot that almost like a Roomba vacuum, you know, learns and maps your building. And then you can control it by voice. You can control it by an app. You can control it on the screen. You're listening to Bridge the Gap Season 5, a podcast dedicated to informing, educating, and influencing the future of housing and services for seniors. Powered by sponsors AccuShield, Connected Living, Inquire, One Day, LTC REIT, It's Never Too Late, Meridian Capital Group, Salinity, The Bridge Group Construction, and produced by Salinity Marketing. Welcome to Bridge the Gap Podcast, the senior living podcast with Josh and Lucas. We are in downtown Dallas, Texas, for a great meet and greet with a lot of our friends and industry partners. We want to welcome Brian McWade. He's the president of Connected Living. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's so, so good to see you. Um, You flew in from Boston today. It's a long trip and you've arrived and there's a lot of energy here in Dallas, obviously related to the Nick conference. Um, And you guys uh, have a lot of meetings planned. We're really excited about our partnership with Connected Living um, and the types of products and services you guys are bringing to the market. Um, You've been around a long time and we were discussing beforehand the massive shifts and changes in tech around senior living to walk us through kind of frame that up for us before we dive into some of your background. Sure. Well, I think the change we've seen in senior living in the past 12 years, we'll never see again in this space and pretty much any industry. If you, you know, so let's just look at the past 10 years, 10 years is a lot of time and in some industries, not a lot in others. So if you're in the automotive industry, the same people who are driving a car 10 years ago, still driving a car, cars have changed, innovation, Tesla, but generally speaking, it's the same person. In senior living, 10 years ago, less than 15% of seniors had access to internet. They had to go to a library to get internet. And 96% of seniors had a negative view of, tech, uh, of technology mm-hmm. on society. So that's, that was the state of the state only 10, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. So you fast forward today to Nick, where we're at, and one out of every two seniors who moves into a community has a smart device they use three times a day in, in 10 to 12 years. Just not only is it the technology that's changing, but the demographic, it's completely different. Like in that time, we went from an iPhone to like an iPhone 10, small feature changes, things like that. We're talking about a whole demographic and actually the biggest demographic where 10,000 people turn 65 a day, you know, and it's just been a completely different world. Yeah. I, so one things I didn't mean to interrupt you, but one of the things that um, me and Lucas have talked about is how much has changed for these communities, but how much has changed with the technologies. And like you said, I think 10, 12 years ago, uh, operators were sitting around, you know, uh, this is going to happen a long time from now. Our infrastructure is okay. It's in place. But 10 years, I mean, a lot has changed. So these devices, you guys are in communities helping operators all the time with technology. What, what is the primary use of technology? What are you seeing these residents? What type of devices? What are they, what are they using? Yep. Well, that's the, that's the amazing thing is that there's so many different factors that go into someone's ability to use technology in senior living. You have your age, where you're from, your financial situation, uh, your vision, dexterity, cognitive state, like seven or eight factors that go into your ability to use technology and what you should be using. And you're not just one of those factors, you're any combination of the seven. Mm-hmm. So when you take a community, you know, you know, you go into a hotel and everyone's basically the same, right? Same type of person, same technology adoption. You go into a senior living community, 
there's like 140 different types of seniors and, and factors that go into how they use tech. So how do you build a product suite, you know, that can support everyone? You know, you have to have like an, an end-to-end solution. Some people need a paper calendar. Some people need to use their voice kids because they can't see. You know, some people need to use a browser because their vision isn't good enough to use a smartphone. So you have to, you know, it's not a one size fits all thing. And that's been the biggest challenge for these operators is people want to connect. Families want to window in, but everyone is different in terms of how they have to engage. Well, you're exactly right. Not only is everyone different on the end user, so that resident and what their needs are, what their desires are, their preferences, what their abilities are. But also from an operator's perspective, there's not a one size fits all. So our audience consists of, you know, small kind of your mom and pop, your single owner operator communities to your highly sophisticated, extremely large platforms. And so with this challenge, this opportunity, it's kind of a two edged sword. So talk to us about some of the maybe the low hanging fruit uh, for operators, no matter what size you are, some of the steps you can take to kind of bridge that gap for technology to, to help adapt your community to these needs. So I think the goal is more of a holistic goal where, you know, as an operator in some way or another, you want to get to a hundred percent of your resident base. And, um, you know, for a long time, I'd say five, six years ago, there was a lot of focus on, all right, I need, I need everyone to be on an app. I need everyone coming to a computer learning session. Like I need a hundred percent adoption and that's just not how it, how it works. Right. You need to have a number of different platforms in place so you can at least get everybody in one way or another. Easiest way is through signage, right? Like everyone has to come in, everyone has to pass a sign. There's so many different ways that you can do digital signage. You can do it in the lobby, in a dining area, back of the house for staff on a TV in the residence room. So kind of starting with signage is a nice read only experience. Um, and, and signage has changed too. It's not necessarily about slideshow presentations. It's about interactive content, bringing in engagement partners, um, interaction, touchscreen, you know, a bunch of different ways you can introduce and facilitate through signage. Well, speaking of signage, so I've been hearing a lot in the design world now where people are trying to design communities to be more flexible, uh, meaning that the spaces are flexible. So what may serve as um, like a dining room then turns into an activity area, then turns into maybe a, a um, an exercise area later in the day, but there's all these different spaces. So it, it seems to me the point that you just made about digital signage, that's something that can easily be changed and transformed to match whatever it needs to transform to rather than tearing something off the wall and putting something back on. Right. hundred percent. I mean, I think we have this feeling that signage has to be a mounted a horizontal screen on a wall in the lobby. And signage is changing. You know, signage can be a check-in at the fitness center. Signage can be a sanitizer station. Signage can be really any any type of way of engaging with that group. It's not your traditional signage. In fact, now we do a lot of new construction builds. And signage is part of the architectural plan. Where do we need signage? You know, should it be up in the ceiling? Should it be vertical? You know, should it be a menu board? There's there's a whole world of, you know, building around the, these type of things. What about um, just the concept of uh, wellness and design and universal design? Is there a wayfinding aspect to some of these ideas? Yeah, I think there's it, a lot of it comes down to the software. So um, I can speak from my experience, your ability to have a custom kind of platform to build off of. But wayfinding is a huge piece. And that could be as basic as just a floor, a picture of a floor plan. Right. Or it could be dropping breadcrumbs and QR codes that go to an app so you can follow it on your phone once you leave the, the front desk. There's a whole bunch of options. And I think our goal 
you know, when you walk into a Marriott, that type of experience, right? You have your, your, your menu, your board, right? Or you have your smartphone. That's what we're trying to get to introducing geolocation, knowing when somebody gets right to the front door, you know, being able to navigate around different places. So kind of the world that it's endless in terms of how we can take it. Well, you know, I think for a long time, um, and probably the easiest thing is what you were talking about, which is that new construction component when you're designing for this. But Lucas, you know, you could speak to this a lot more, but there's so much inventory out there of these aging properties that you're, I know, in every day renovating, repositioning. Is it is it possible now and, and attainable that you can have these kind of solutions uh, transform a community. I know um, the thought was years ago, it's just so expensive to bring the infrastructure you need into for something like digital signage. But mm-hmm. with technology, has it made it easier to be able to retrofit communities with this? It has. I also think that it's more of a must have now. The people who are coming in expect it. So it's less of a luxury and more of a necessity. And you find money when it's a necessity. So I think that that's a, a big piece of this. But, you know, again, these don't have to be big media walls, you know, these can be tablets. You know, these can be uh, cellular, cellular, you know, smartphones. So um, the, the the types of devices you can use are are really endless, and there's more coming out every day. The voice products, Alexa devices, you know, it's all all there. And there's an a comp, you know, there's a cheap way to do everything in in a way that fits your budget. So I think you know we're seeing it um, in a wide variety of ways. So talk to us a little bit about successful implementation plans that you've seen, because I think anytime we start talking about tech, Mm -hmm. you know, I think um, more and more operators are getting a little bit more sophisticated in how their team composition, but I I know there's still probably a ton of our listeners and our viewers that they start thinking, oh my gosh, more tech. We've got no one on our team that's an IT specialist, or we don't have a large IT department, or or is this going to cost us a lot more in tech management? So how are solutions evolving to where it's an easier lift for operators or are you seeing operators are having to just bring in a ton of tech minded savvy team members to be able to implement this in a successful way? I think it's the uh, startup process. That's the most important here in the support process. So typically what we have done, which we found very successful is, you know, an operator has a corporate plan, a corporate marketing plan, a corporate brand. Right. So that's a very easy place to start. If you're an operator and you have 10, 15 sites, your initial deployment can be corporate focused content. Right. Making sure that every brand has continuity in the lobby so that it matches. And then every community is different. Some are memory care, some are independent living, some have staff that that are tech savvy, some don't. So once you get a foundation in, you can take the time that's needed to treat each community uniquely as you're implementing. For a long time, it was about, okay. How quickly can we launch 20, 30, 40 sites? And you end up with a wide variety of success and adoption because not every community is the same. So if you can find a way that is kind of that phase one so you can get it in there, because there's nothing worse than having a, an operator with a number of sites and having half of it implemented, half your sites implemented, and half not, because then you just have no continuity in it. So finding a, a nice way to get both is how we've done it. It's been very successful, and especially you know, it's been the main way we've done this the past couple of years and it's been been good. That's so helpful to kind of help set the stage for different providers and operators to say like, here's a way to onboard this. Here's a process and a system. It's much more easier to eat the elephant one bite at a time, right? Yeah, well, absolutely. So talk to the operator out there right now that may be thinking, oh my gosh, digital signage. I don't have a plan for that. 
And yep. you mentioned having a plan. And so, so where do you start? I mean, there's so many opportunities for digital signage. What would be if, if, if you're giving them one bite at a time, where's the place to start that you say is like, this is the essential part of your plan, like where you want to start with the, the most necessity. Sure. So your lobby is important. Uh, I always recommend that you kind of break up your operating base, you know, your communities into different types. So type one might be um, space for a mounted screen, which communities can fit a mounted screen in the lobby. Okay. Uh, type two space that can't fit a mounted screen, but can fit a freestanding kiosk. Okay. Phase three is they don't support one or two, but they could use a tablet on the concierge desk, right? So establish a, a, a common ground of your communities because it's not a one size fits all experience. And then you have two paths from there. One is the content path, right? And that's kind of what we just talked about. Come up with a content plan that's um, supported at all your sites initially so that you can get it out there and get it implemented. You know, and then the second is come up with a technology um, you know, enablement plan on, on how do we take it from signage to a different experience. One example I'll give is with a very large 120 uh, company uh, skilled nursing um, operator. And they decided within 30 days to deploy 240 signs to 120 communities in 40 days, right? And all of those signs had the same content as a phase one, right? And then they're engaged, they're on there, the community's excited, visitors are coming in, they're seeing it, the operator has consistency. And then you take another two, three months and you thoughtfully go back, hit each community independently so that they're up to speed on what they can do. So that's a really, really easy way to get started. So, you know, I, I'm sitting here probably thinking of like, oh, all the potential problems when you think of tech and residents, right? And what, what kind of challenges have you seen or have you even seen challenges and how would the operators deal with these with as more and more and more tech is emerging that residents are using, is this something that the residents are easily figuring out or is this creating more calls for operators where help me use my tech? Is that even happening or is it not happening? It's happening. You know, yeah. and I think that part of what we can do is by bringing eight or nine different types of products, we can make sure everyone, everyone has a chance to get the same information. Whether you're asking Alexa for the calendar or viewing on a digital sign, you're still asking for the same thing, seeing the same thing. And I do think that the staff, you know, you you hire employees that are needed to support your residents. So for a very long time, when tech wasn't key, you know, you wouldn't have, you know, staff that were focused in tech. In tech. But now, obviously, as this becomes a requirement, we're hiring more younger people. We're hiring people that have a better understanding of technology. And it's just kind of it's an organic thing that can happen. Uh, but you definitely need a team you know, on the back end. So we're able to offer like a support center. So any calls can come to us, but you're definitely seeing operators build out their, their internal tech teams, finding managed service providers who can provide, you know, the support to troubleshoot devices or to support the residents. It, it needs to be a part of that plan. Absolutely. So obviously as needs are changing, uh, the, the care composition team is changing and it's really interesting. And I guess we're probably living in a time where uh, the seniors that are moving in, the older adults that are moving in are only going to be more tech savvy too. So this should get easier and easier. Not only are we learning how to deal with it and staff up for it better, but also our, our, our residents are getting more savvy. So, well, and I think also not only that, the staff is already savvy for the most part and they're wanting tools, right? Um, we're coming out of two years of, I mean, just a lot of stress, a lot of trauma to residents and staff of what everybody's had to deal with. Um, labor continues to be an issue of staffing in these 
uh, you know, in senior care and in senior living. Um, so let's actually transition now to some robotics. Um, you know, when I think of senior living, I don't think of robotics, uh, but, uh, you do. (laughs) And uh, I think it's fascinating, especially as this kind of enters into the space. Um, I mean, the clear, uh, play seems like, well, this can help maybe fill or bridge some of those gaps in staffing. Talk to us about that. Sure. So, uh, uh, extensive experience with robotics and there, there's different kinds, right? You have your operational back of the house robots that are there to support your staff, your dining robots, um, yeah, robots to support with telemedicine, things like that. Our focus, since we're a social company, we're more focused on the social companionship. So we have a robot, uh, Temi, which is a, a, t- a three and a half foot autonomous robot that almost like a Roomba vacuum, you know, learns and maps your building. Uh, and then you can control it by voice. You can control it by an app. You can control it on the screen. You know, and it's a think of, and it's Alexa enabled. So think about you know an Alexa device that sits stationary in a room. What if you could make that move on its own? You know, and what if that device could call a family member automatically? Or what if it could be in the lobby and use facial recognition to welcome a prospect? You know, and say, hey, where do you want to go? Are you here to see a loved one, or are you here for a tour? Oh, I'm here for a tour. Okay, follow me. You know that. <laughs> so. Um, Interestingly, with robots, when a robot goes down a hall, people look at it and they smile. Um, it's just different. You know, if a robot walked in right here, I guarantee you'd smile and see it. But uh, <laughs> or jump through that. Yeah. One of the two. I don't know what else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get ready. <laughs> so yeah. So that's a it's a big piece. I think there's a lot of questions in terms of where robotics goes. Um, but I think from a social companionship standpoint, there's a lot of opportunity. We've seen it. We, you know, there's pets, you know, the toy pets and the uh, obviously our type of robot, but there's other robots that can come in and provide that, that support. So Timmy is coming to a community near me. That's what you told me. We have about 300 out there right now. Oh my gosh. Uh, probably the most deployments of robotics out there. And they do everything from, you know, they're, they're at a concierge in a lobby. Um, they're, you know, we have communities, especially skilled nursing communities that are using them to schedule calls with, with loved ones. Timmy goes to the room at a set time. The video call starts. Time it goes back to its you know home base at the end. So just some very simple deployments that can bring more engagement because we have such a staffing shortage right now. Yeah. And that's why skilled nursing is using it so much is that if we can just take 30 minutes a day and give that back to the staff, we're going to, we're going to start saving a lot of time. Totally. Totally. Well, it, it helps that major friction point. It really does. But the burning question I have right now, why Timmy? Why the name Timmy? Like, <laughs> how did you arrive at Timmy? Out has of all the names. Ring. Has a great yes. ring. For that reason right there. Now, just a bunch of names on a wall. Awesome. awesome. Alexa awesome. was already taken and the other one, Siri. I mean, so you got to have a, 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 a name that has a ring, you know? Well, and I'm, I'm guessing, so do you guys have any video captured of this? Oh, that, absolutely. So I can't wait for our audience. I've got to go check this out myself. I have not seen this. I want to see Timmy walking around in the community. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and I also imagine like anytime, like you said, it brings smiles to people's faces. Um, you know, I think like maybe a knee jerk reaction, we think of like really kind of high tech stuff like robotics, um, is people think, oh, well now we're going to be disconnected, but actually it's a way to, to bring connection because when you're in congregate care and communal living, um, it's actually, a, it's a talking point, right. Yep. To get to experience, uh, do you, you know, interfacing with a robot. It's something that's unique. It's something that can even bridge the gap intergenerationally as they're trying to connect with their grandkids and, you know, the, the, the son or daughter, adult child, you know, talking, say, Hey, you know, 
the, the robot came, Timmy came and I was able to have a call with you. So I believe that it's ways like this, these innovations in the space that actually bring more connectivity, not less connectivity. Absolutely. Well, not only that, but, uh, it's, it's a pretty cool factor. And I think about things that attract multiple generations to want to come to the community. I mean, I can only think about my kids if they thought they were going to be able to see Timmy, the robot running around in a community, like they're there, yeah. they're there <laughs> immediately. They want to see what grandma and grandpa's doing, hanging out with Timmy. So that's a really, really cool thing. 300 communities, you said this is already uh, out in? About 300 Timmy's are out there. So some communities have one, some have 15 or 20. Uh, wow. We have one community that has one on every floor. Um, but it's a, that's a quite a few robots out there. So I'm assuming there's a ton of AI in these ton, robots. I mean, obviously you have, um, it's loaded with you know, tech and sensors, but the, the amount of technology you need to be able to kind of build a linear autonomous map and then, you know, have the safety for it not to run into things, then build in the different, you know, tech to do the uh, telepresence calls and things like that. There's a lot, a lot going on in there. Do you think um, as, as this tech emerges, it's already in a lot of communities, do you think this will be attainable for, for most operators or is this at a price point still to where it's, it's only going to be kind of for kind of top tier communities. The, the key is the price point. You want to get robotics into the price of a computer, right? That's the ultimate goal. So a Temi robot is about the cost of an expensive MacBook Pro. Wow. So um, that's one of the reasons why you can scale it and have multiple within a site. So well, Makes a lot of sense. I, I feel not cool enough to be having this conversation, Lucas, because <laughs> you're not. <laughs> well, exactly. So that's, that's uh, it's real. But Brian is. So, OK, now, as we kind of round out the conversation, put you on the spot a little bit. So let's kind of look at the crystal ball, like you know, three, five years out where what's on the horizon that maybe we haven't seen yet. And if and if you can't say it or don't you can't talk about it, it's totally fine. But if there's something out there, is, is there something we should be looking for? I think. You know, I think that senior living is going to follow a lot of what happens in hospitality, right? So to, to us, we're not going to, there's not, there's not, there's going to be any rocket science like, oh my God, that never existed before. But being able to walk into a room and have your name on the TV and see pictures that your loved one's posting on a phone, you know, or video calling on a TV, those are things that no one is really doing right now. And that's where we're, we're going. So the goal obviously is to be more of a hospitality driven industry than a care, you know, industry. And a lot of those things are things we see in hotels that are slowly progressing into this. So, you know, the ability to, um, from a prospecting standpoint to have technology, so you know, your prospects are coming and you can greet them at the front door. You see that in high end hotels, you don't really see it in senior living. So that's easy to do, or, you know, making sure your families have an app and can communicate right into the residence room. That's something that you know, happens with between a, uh, I, I'm at the, the uh, Marriott down the street and I can communicate on my phone with the hotel to let them know I'm close. So these type of things I think mm -hmm. is where we'll go. I think at a more macro level for so long, social technology and health technology. So connected living versus EHRs have been so different, right? Different pieces, but because of the pandemic, they're slowly coming together. So I think you're going to see a lot of more um, importance in the data that comes from social technologies. Uh, who am I connect? Who's the loved one connected to? How many times are they posting content? Um, have they not opened their app? Are they attending events? What events are they attending? This type of data is really important and also very valuable to, um, to the medical systems because they're not collecting it. So you'll start to see value in social, social data. 
Wow. Amazing. So, yeah. uh, so much innovation and technology that's bridging the gap between hospitality and healthcare yep. and bringing us together. You guys at Connected Living are doing amazing things. I can't wait for our audience to connect with you all. You've been doing this a long time and it's exciting to, to see you moving us forward. Absolutely. Brian, thanks for spending time with us today. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here. Thank you. Well, and to all of our listeners, uh, we appreciate you listening into this show. You can go to btgvoice.com for all of this information and extra content. Connect with us on social. Check out Connected Living and their products and services and, you know, give them a thanks for helping support the Bridge the Gap Network and bringing great content to you each week. And, uh, And you can also connect with us on our website, BTG Voice. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Bridge the Gap. Thanks for listening to Bridge the Gap podcast with Josh and Lucas. Connect with the BTG network team and use your voice to influence the industry by connecting with us at btgvoice.com.